You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back, everyone, to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 20 called Quarter One Grading Tips, Pop Culture Lessons, and Being Thankful. In this episode, we'll talk about some ways to alleviate end-of-quarter grading headaches. Next, we'll discuss some ways to enhance student interest by integrating pop culture into lesson design. In the spirit of the season, we'll also take a moment to be thankful for the successes of some of our former students and what this can provide our current classes. As always, we'll end the show with another Tech Battle Royale. Here we go. Nick, we're back. Episode 20. We made it. Can you believe 20 episodes? 2-0. Honest Abe would say that's a score. I'm excited to kick off our uh, our 20th one of these things. So we're already almost at Thanksgiving. This is, in, this is insane. This is crazy. Quarter one of the 2018-2019 year. It's finito. Yeah, it's like two benchmarks today. 20th episode, check it off the list. Marking period one, quarter one, whatever your school calls it, also checked off the list. Almost. I know technically it ended, but for the teachers it hasn't ended because grades are not due until this coming Monday, which means, well, you, I know you don't grade that many things anymore, but you know what that means, right? What, what does that mean? I mean, I'm out of practice, apparently, so go ahead. It means that even though the marking period is over, it is it is grading season. It is grading season. It is grading season. And I know some teachers like to give their quarterly exams at the end of uh, each quarter. And, and in these exams, it's almost like mini finals. Right. It's also the time of year when the students start checking their grades and maybe considering, uh, wow, I probably should have tried a little bit harder or performed a little bit better on some of these things. And then finding ways to help their grades. And they start kind of checking in with teachers and asking if they can redo things. We've talked before about the second chance learning policy we have. So maybe there's some uh, some retaking of assessments happening. The point is, it's a really super busy, stressful time for teachers to get all this grading finished. So we have different types of grading, obviously. We have our multiple choice, and there's ways to get around grading multiple choice, such as scantrons, online assessments, and things like that. So uh, some of the things that I've used in the past for online grading of multiple choices uh sophia.org that was a good one uh, allows you to embed a video a youtube video in there ask some questions students take it automatically gives them a score i like uh, sophia.org we also use fluberu for google forms it's an extension now that google forms allows you to grade your your own uh multiple choice questions right inside of there fluberu is kind of a little outdated a little outsourced but I think we'd need to really get into talking about some of the things that take a little bit longer, such as the essays. But before we do that, I know you've been raving about this uh, this app, this tech tool that helps you grade multiple choice. Yeah, sure. It's kind of like... Um and I can't take total credit for this. It's actually a colleague of mine that uses it. I haven't started to yet, but it seems pretty cool. And she does swear by it. And I'm just kind of spreading the word for her as much as possible. It's called uh, ZipGrade. And ZipGrade, they have several different services. But I, one of the things they offer is an app on your phone. And ZipGrade has a special Scantron form, just like you would get. But it saves you the hassle of having to walk 
down to wherever your school keeps a Scantron machine, um, because all you do is once the students bubble in their responses, at least as long as it's a multiple choice test, you hold your phone, uh, you open up the app, obviously, but hold your phone over ZipGrade's special response form and it automatically detects where the pencil marks are and it gives you a score automatically with the time-saving benefit, like I said, of not having to have or go find a Scantron machine. Downside would be, I guess a Scantron machine does automatically print the score on the form for you, so you don't have to actually write anything with this, it's just on your phone, so you do have to write that score on the test yourself if you plan on handing it back for feedback. But uh, ZipGrade's a pretty cool way to save yourself some time if you're doing multiple choice tests. I just want to jump in there because I, I knew nothing about this tool. I, I've known nothing. I've heard, you know, maybe whispers of something like it be being addressed, yeah. but I've never used it. I've never came across it. But one thing that is kind of cool with that is teacher puts in the Scantron, uses their phone to grade it. They put the grade up at the top. This second chance learning is allowing them to actually take an honest assessment again. If the right or wrong answers aren't there, then they have to study the material again and maybe grasping it a little better. And that might also save the teachers a little bit of time from having to change up the assessments too terribly much. Yeah, that's true, because I guess they're not getting, you know, they can't see the mark, uh, mar any markings for what was wrong and right. So it kind of forces them to just study from a fresh perspective. So yeah, ZipGrade might be useful. And I do think, I don't know if it does this yet, but as what happens a lot of times with stuff like this, I know these companies are always looking for places to expand. So I would not be surprised if ZipGrade doesn't already have or won't soon have ways to export those grades automatically to maybe whatever learning management system your school uses. So maybe uh, we could look forward to that to make it even more, a little more uh, user-friendly in terms of time. So, so let's just go over a couple other uh, different ways to give feedback. And uh, one of the ways that we've talked about in the past are uh, rubrics. We talk a little bit about rubrics in one episode. We talked about uh, grade inflation because, you know, everyone's five are generally the minimum requirements. And we need to slide that over and make it to three. But let's talk about some ways that we can actually um, use rubrics while they're writing like online essays or they're handing in an essay. So you're an English teacher and you right. just collected a whole bunch of essays. This is your Google Keep thing, right? This uh, Google Keep is a great is a great one. Yeah. So uh, you can make your rubrics be little notes in Google Keep. And then Google Keep, it, you could uh, move that right over to Google Docs. So you can open up your Google Keep notes in Google Docs and just drag them right over. I saw this uh, neat professional development last year. I'm trying to think of where it was. I think it was in South Jersey. Not 100% sure, but it was, uh, um, it was one of the uh, Google camps, I think. Okay. And uh, someone showed me how they make scratch and sniff stickers, but this is a little off topic, but I think yeah. it's super cool. Yeah, sure. Using Google Keep. So basically anything that you throw into Google Keep, you could drag and put into a Google Doc. So Without typing it, you mean? It's just there. You just drag it right yeah. over. So what I would do is I would use my rubric. I would come up with uh, the, the different categories and I would just drag it over right. which one they've earned. This is, so. actually, this is actually really cool. It took me a while to understand what you were talking about until I saw you do it at the, our presentation a couple weeks ago. But man, anyone who's ever argued against online grading when there's rubrics involved, this really does fix that. My thing with rubrics was always, well, it's so easy to just 
print off a bunch of copies and then circle whatever, you know, whatever category I think they fall into. It takes like, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds per rubric to grade super fast. This is the same, and it, but it does that electronically. You're just not circling the uh, where the two criteria meet on the rubric to give them their score. You're dragging and dropping one of your Google Keep notes to give the kids the same feedback. I fully endorse this Google Keep method. It's really super easy. See, what I like to do is I like to have a couple different tools in my pocket. So if I'm grading an essay, uh, I could do Google Keep. The other thing I could do is uh, check mark, which is to make my own canned comments. Right. And uh, we've gone over that before. But the other one that we haven't talked about is uh, talk and comment. It's a, it's an extension. And basically what it allows you to do is record your voice to give feedback. And you do it right in the Google Doc. You download talk and comment. A little microphone comes up to the right, you click on it, and you start giving your verbal feedback. So say you wanted to drag a rubric in from Google Keep into their document, and then you can give them verbal feedback for each one of the categories. If you're doing a claims evidence reasoning, you could do your claim was well supported, it earned a four out of five. One thing that you could have approved on there was whatever it is. Then you go to the evidence, you found some great evidence to support your claim. However, all these are from invalid uh, internet sources, non-scholarly internet sources. Right. Your reasoning, you used the data that you collected wisely and it supported the, the claim and you got a five out of five there. So it doesn't take that long to say these things. It takes longer to write it all out. So it would save you a lot of time there. Yeah, saves you the typing time. I know it sounds silly, but moving your hands back and forth to the keyboard constantly, uh, which again, it's a menial thing, but over and over and over again, that kind of stuff does make a difference. And I think the, old, uh, the one other one I was going to bring up was Kaizena, which does a similar thing. Kaizena, I mean, their tagline is uh, something like fast, you know, fast feedback for teachers, something like that. I forget exactly what it is, but it's uh, pretty much voice commenting, I believe. Do you remember exactly what Kaizena does? Kaizena does a little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, Kaizena allows you to do canned comments as well. Right. It allows you to do the voiceover. Personally, I think it's just a personal preference between Kaizena or... Talking comment, right? Talking yeah. comment. Uh, and really... Kaizena wraps up checkmark and talk and comment into one tech tool, I guess. But I mean, really what you need to do is take a couple of minutes, sit down with one of these tech tools and really see what it has to offer. Once you get into a process, all this time, the, the learning curve definitely shrinks and it, it's going to give you uh, a chance to be more productive while you grade and it's going to free up more time at the end. Uh, you just got to get into it, work with it, and I'm telling you, this is going to help you be more productive in the long run. It's time to talk a little bit about pop culture. That's an interesting one. What does pop culture have to do with education? Everything. It has absolutely everything to do with education. We keep talking about personalized learning. 
we keep talking about being relatable to your students and what better way to take current events or even past pop culture and bring it to life through lessons so there's some type of connection or motivational piece to get students interested in what you're doing. Okay, so really pop culture can just be a way to kind of get students to buy into what you're talking about or maybe even show them how it could be useful in a real world scenario because they're seeing how it might relate to things outside of school. Exactly. I mean, I used to do things with uh, current events every Friday and I would just pick one and we would talk about it. It had nothing to do with science. Right. Uh, Sometimes it had something to do with science, but we would just pick it. And then from there, once I learned about my class a little bit, learned what made them tick, I would try to really uh, focus on those types of topics and see how I could bring that into the classroom. Sometimes I'm just, if I'm explaining the rate of a reaction, the speed of a reaction, and how you have to get enough energy to actually start the reaction. So you're, you're basically investing energy into a reaction to make it work for you. Right. You know, within your body systems, things like that. And uh, if they had an interest in rabbits, you know, sometimes they, they get fixed on something that is totally what you think is weird. I don't know a better yeah, sure. word for it. Yeah, yeah. I got. I get what you're saying, though. For example, those uh, little bunnies, they're little creatures. I think they were called hatchables mm. one year were super popular. Okay. Yep. With the younger grades, but for some reason, it also, I saw kids walking around with these hatchables in school, and I was like, yeah. all right, so you're playing with a stuffed animal at the age of 15. What am I missing here? Right. Yeah, right. But apparently, that that was the toy of the year, and they were super rare, and it was super cool to have a super rare toy. So then I started saying, all right, so you're going up this big hill with a wagon full of hatchables, all right? That, you're going to have to invest a lot of energy to get up that hill, but once you reach the peak or the activation energy, you're going to be able to go down with that that little wagon. You're going to be able to do that almost like a roller coaster. You get to the top. Yeah, you go over the, the peak, the activation energy peak of the reaction. Yeah, and yeah. then you go down. It's a great time. Everyone has a good time. So I started drawing these little hatchable babies on, on the board and everything. They're laughing. They're having a good time. But at the end of the day, when I went to go check for understanding, they got it. And a lot of times they would refer back to the Hatchables in their answers when I did like a, you know, a ticket to get out of the room or exit ticket. Okay. I see what you're saying though. That kind of reminds me of, I remember every once in a while I catch some of the physics teachers worksheets or tests that they print out in our office and kind of leave behind maybe by mistake. And it always strikes me how creative they make their questions because physics at least for part of the course in high school it's a lot of like you know angles and speed you know your velocity and calculating momentum acceleration yeah all that stuff and I, i could see how that could be dry but a way to spice that up to keep people interested and this is why i'm bringing it up is i always remember seeing them with all kinds of questions where they use like silly funny things that are doing the acceleration i think a few years back actually no this was recent because incredibles 2 i don't know if you know the incredible yeah, i know yeah. what it is i've never okay. seen it but okay. i know what it is yeah well they one of the scenarios was i think the little babies i forget his name it's like jack jack or something but jack jack goes flying up in the air and the first part of the question was what if he goes straight up and straight back down and the second part was what if he goes at a 45 degree angle and just these little things can make a big difference for, you know, kind of pulling students in and, and, and getting them to be interested in what you're asking them to do. 
it really makes the problem come alive a little bit. It also reminded me of, this is something I've been doing for years, sometimes the, the late night shows like Jimmy Fallon and, uh, and Kimmel and all those guys, a lot of times they'll bring on, and I know we keep doing a science perspective on this, and you, you could extend this to other things too. They'll bring on guests that aren't just famous people, but they'll have, you know, the celebrities there as part of it. And I know one that I use constantly is Jimmy Fallon brings this guy from some science museum out of New York. And whenever this guy comes on as a guest, his whole thing is doing really cool, engaging science demos. But he's doing it there on the Jimmy Fallon set with whatever celebrity is there. And I, I show those whenever I can if it relates to something I'm teaching. Because maybe just the fact that a kid sees a face they recognize, that's the reason they pay attention to that thing a little bit more than they would have otherwise. And I know they bring on like animal guests too, people coming on with like cheetahs or boa constrictors and weird stuff. So you can always find some kind of tie in there with pop culture stuff. Yeah, I understand. Uh, during my bioethics class, uh, we would go through the environmental unit. And I always chose that one because there are a lot of celebrity ties to the environment. You know, you have Leonardo DiCaprio made the 11th hour. There are other people out there that are animal rights activists. One of the movies uh, or video documentaries that I that I showed in the past was uh, The Cove with the dolphins. And there's a couple famous people in there. I know the girl from uh, Remember the Titans, the young girl. is uh, oh, She yeah. was in that documentary. And... Um, what I do is I take those people to kind of spearhead the uh, bioethical issues relating to the environment, especially if it's someone that is super relevant to their pop culture, because a lot of times you can get them to buy in just based on their favorite celebrity buying into something. Sure. And uh, here, here, sorry to cut you off, but here's what else I just realized this counts as pop culture. Politics can go there too. Politicians, a lot of people have a lot of knowledge on uh politicians and and what they stand for these days so that's another way to kind of get interest and that can touch any any range of topics so how can we take pop culture and put it into a more i mean the activities that we're talking about are word problems and things like that but how can we take pop culture and bring it into a more i guess long-term assignment or a larger project other than a word problem um i know one way that i've done it and this is sometimes i refer to this as not so much pop culture but it's more like an online or or youtube culture which i guess for a lot of kids these days that kind of is their pop culture a lot of the the younger generations they don't watch tv and movies the same way we did when we were growing up they you know they're watching youtube and 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 a whole collection of uh, celebrities that aren't on mainstream television they just have their own YouTube channel, and they're just as famous uh, as anybody else, but just in that world. In particular, I do a stop-motion video project in my chemistry classes, and one of the ways I tie that in at the beginning of the project is showing a stop-motion video as an example that these guys made on YouTube. It's a pretty popular YouTube show called Good Mythical Morning. It's just two buddies. Uh, I think their names are Rhett and Link. And they just do like a funny show on YouTube every week or a couple times a week. But they made a stop motion video and a lot of kids know who these guys are. So when I pull that video up at the introduction of a project, they're like, oh, I know who those two are. That's really cool. 
there's that buy-in piece we're talking about um, just to sort of get the whole project rolling. So that's one way you can use it almost as like an example of a product. Yeah, YouTube is definitely a very powerful tool in education, especially if you could find these creative ways to use it. Uh, one of the ways I like to bring in pop culture, and, and we talked about your amazing race in the past, but taking these popular game shows and, and making them a reality in your class the best you can. I know it's sometimes very time consuming and difficult, but if you're working within a PLC or with a group of friends or something like that, that are teachers, you can really divide and conquer. Um, one of the things I want to bring back, and this is one of my favorite TV shows to watch. Granted, I'm from the country. We didn't have a whole lot of TV stations. We used an antenna. Our satellite dish in our backyard looks like something that you would see on the moon. I mean, it was like a 12-foot radius satellite dish, not something small <laughs> that you would put on the top of your house. So, right. Uh, we're, we're going back. It's it's dating me a little bit, but where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Yeah, I love that show too, though, dude. That was awesome. So I'll just kind of brainstorm out loud. We, we had a colleague that went from our high school and went to our middle school. And she, I know, listens to the podcast every once in a while. So we'll give her an indirect uh, shout out or maybe a direct shout out. We could do it. Jamie Quartz, which is now Jamie Gardner. She has a unit that we were talking about what we could do to kind of spice it up a little bit. And I'm thinking that this is the perfect opportunity to do this. But what I want to do is I want to take the three teachers that teach this and I want them to be part of the little video series. So maybe I get them to use Flipgrid to kind of play a part. Uh, maybe they're the three criminals and they have to go catch them. Oh, cool. Okay. Something like that. And what they'll do is they'll introduce like the little small challenges. So if they're doing the Westward movement uh, as their topic, you know, they'll, one of them will talk about the gold rush and, you know, there'll be a little challenge there and they'll have to stop at different places along the way and, you know, kind of put the time stamp on it, but also do these little activities that are going to get them the information that they need to better understand the concept. So by bringing these three people in, the three teachers, as a YouTube video, I mean, yeah, pop culture, I'm going to expand the borders here a lot of students really really like seeing teachers in a different way other than being the person in front of the class sure so if you get them acting silly on camera there's nothing better than that yep and that in itself i think is some type of pop culture in a way well teacher yeah teachers are kind of like super minor level celebrities within a school everybody knows who they are at least you know what i mean so like you said when you get a teacher doing something out of the ordinary that's that's a huge buy-in so you can use it in the same way as a pop culture so what i'm thinking is we'll get them involved we'll have these activities that they have to do it's almost like a almost like a choice board in a, in a way, it gives them several different opportunities to portray that they have the skills needed for that section. And then at the end, depending how well they score, you know, that will say whether or not they caught the criminals. Maybe they caught one out of the three. Who knows? There's plenty of options here, but I'm just thinking out loud and thinking how I could bring this uh, to life while collaborating with people that know the content way better than I do. That's great. Yeah. Game shows is an easy way to bring in uh, pop culture reference. So I think we brought up some pretty cool stuff here, whether it's, you know, game shows, politicians, musicians, music is a whole nother one we didn't go to. You could, it's really easy to introduce music as almost as a form of poetry, looking at the lyrics of a particular song, make it a super popular song, tie that song in with 
you know, other more uh, more classic things. And it's just a way to kind of tie in that pop culture piece from an even a different angle. Uh, so definitely consider some of these options, whether it's YouTube or TV, movies, music, politics, whatever you want, even the teachers within the school to bring in some pop culture to your lessons. You can follow Got Tech outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at we got Tech. As we mentioned before, we're getting pretty close to the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. And one of the things I like about the Thanksgiving holiday is kind of reflecting on things that I'm thankful for. And we, we also mentioned that our job can sometimes bring stress to our lives. Uh, stress uh, to meet deadlines, things like that. I think you could find similar stresses in a lot of the uh, jobs out there. Sure. So if we just reflect a little on the things that we really enjoy about our jobs uh, as an educator, I think sometimes that really allows you to see the big picture and realize that, you know, the stressful time will just kind of go away. Yeah, and that's what the holidays should be about, and this is a good time of year to do it, like we just talked about in segment one, kind of wrapping up the first marking period, tying tying a lot of the knots and closing up the loose ends on all those beginning of the year headaches. A lot of that's ending and everybody's sort of settling into a groove for the year. It's a good time to reflect on some of that stuff. And I know this is maybe more of an occurrence at the high school level, but I know for a fact a lot of middle school and even elementary teachers. My mom was an elementary art teacher uh, for years and and she gets it too. Uh, So what I'm talking about is when you regain contact or when you make contact again with former students and they come back and they almost go out of their way to get a hold of you or speak to you about what they're doing now, that by itself is cool because it means even though they've moved on in their lives, they're still thinking back on their education enough to reach out to some of their former teachers. And that's even better when they actually come to you and and say that something you did had a positive experience on them. Yeah, that impact that you have on them is priceless, especially when they come back and you see them as a young adult. I remember seeing someone as a ninth grader and thinking it was pretty cool because I had them again as a 12th grader and just to see how much they've grown over those four years of high school. And then they come back three, four years later when they're done with college and all of a sudden they're a biochemical engineer or, you know, they're going to med school and one day they could be the person that, you know, prescribes me something to cure migraines. Yeah, it's, that's, it's really crazy. I just had one of these, just had one of these things recently I actually ran into this girl, her mother actually, in a session you and I were running and she pulled me aside and was like, oh, do you remember me? Do you remember my daughter? And, and once she started saying that, I did. And she was telling me that her daughter is now, I think, some some sort of a chemical engineer, which is always so cool to hear because that's like, you know, as a chemistry teacher, that's kind of my hope is that the stuff we talk about every day appeals to a couple kids enough. Even out of the 100 kids I teach for the year, if even three or four of them, if they decide that that's their thing, if that's what they're interested in, and then that becomes their life's pursuit and their career like it is for this girl, that's like the most rewarding stuff you can hear. And at least for me, I always feel like I'm sort of taking advantage of the situation. But my first question is always, would you be willing to come in and talk to the current high school kids? Because for them, that's super powerful. Yeah, they see someone that they could relate to because essentially they were them just a couple years, you know, prior. And to get that type of real world grasp is is awesome. I mean, I kind of relate that to parenting a little bit. Sometimes the 
the kid doesn't want to hear the father or the mother. But if someone says the same thing that isn't the father or the mother, they'll listen. So it's just another way of opening a couple doors to a couple students. For me, recently, uh, one of my former students, she got a lead part on a off-Broadway show called The Hello Girls. It's a good history lesson. It's based off of a real uh, true story. I believe it was in World War One, and uh, the men overseas fighting for our country, they needed switchboard operators, okay? And they, they found that, you know, the soldiers that were over there, maybe it was wounded soldiers that could no longer fight or whatever the case is, couldn't operate the switchboard. So what they did is they threw an ad out there for women to go from the United States overseas and become switchboard operators. So they took a lot of Bell Atlantic girls over there, and there's this story was based on five girls in particular who wanted to really progress the women movement, and uh, they wanted to show that women can uh, fight alongside the the men, maybe in a different capacity, but also you know they have what it takes to go over there and do that. And one of the messages was women didn't have the right to vote, and one of the reasons was that they didn't protect their country, they didn't serve their country in war, and that was like one of the things that they were trying to get across and these five switchboard operators wanted to go over and then once they were over there they wanted to get closer to battle and closer to active war so they can show uh, that women can fight in war with the men so that was the whole thing it's based off a true story don't want to give away the ending but you guys can go to new york city and get tickets and watch uh the hello girls this was your former student you said that had the lead in this thing she had the lead it's a musical everybody in the cast was super talented but i might be a little biased and i think she was the best one yeah yeah so i guess just like we said especially during this time of year but even even throughout the year as it progresses and eventually finishes up for all the stress and craziness and deadlines um and unreasonable sometimes unreasonable reasonable expectations put on teachers, it's important to remember the effects that you have on not some of your students, I would probably say a lot of your students, even if you don't hear from them. And just to realize and sort of keep in the back of your mind that that's kind of why we do this and what makes all that stress worth it in the end. Happy holidays, everybody. It's time for the Tick Battle Royale! That's right. It's time for the Tech Battle Royale. This is where Nick and I go mano y mano, one-on-one. I wish I had a whole bunch of other stuff going here, but I'm telling you this right now. Lock and key, my friend. Lock and key. That sounds intimidating. What does that mean? It, It means I have a lock, I have a key, and I'm about ready to open up a whole lot of goodness on you today all right well let's get into it we'll uh we'll i guess we'll get ready to spin the wheel and go through some of our potential categories if you haven't listened before uh, some of the categories we feature are things such as productivity video screencasting student favorite teacher favorite spinner's choice could be anything this time guys why don't you spin the wheel here we go Oh, it's my favorite. These are always the weirdest ones. It looks like we've landed on Spinner's Choice, which means we could be arguing two tech things that have absolutely nothing to do with one another, which can make it more interesting sometimes. Also, the vagueness of the category can really uh, (laughs) allow us to explore the space. Right. But it's nice because I don't have to think too hard because I definitely have something I've been kind of wanting to bring to the podcast, and this just means I get to use it. Do you have something for yourself? Yeah, I got something. I mean, I think mine is more of a, you know, something that is good for 
all stakeholders that make decisions in education. All right. Well, that's interesting. I guess, I mean, I won last time, so I think if I've got the choice, I'll just kick it off because I am pretty excited about uh, sharing this with everybody. This is going to be a little more towards the science side. I hate to do that, but I think it's a really great resource uh, for any science teachers out there at all levels. Uh, this is actually out of HHMI Bio Interactive, which I could have, I'm just realizing I could have just done HHMI Bio Interactive as my thing. And yeah, they're phenomenal. Yeah, I would have beat you for sure. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm just going to talk about one specific thing from HHMI Bio Interactive. If you want to find this resource, that's all you have to do is Google HHMI, HHMI Bio Interactive. In the particular simulation I'm going to discuss or that I'm going to feature for this tech battle is called How Science Works. And it's just had me really excited recently because of a kind of a shift that's been happening for science teachers, moving away from how most students were taught about uh, science and the way it functions in the real world, which is this thing called the scientific method, where there's a hypothesis and you test it and make a conclusion based on your testing and the data you gather. Um, that whole thing is sort of changing with the current understanding that sort of in the real world, science is way more complex than those three to four simple stages. There's a lot of there's a lot of recirculating, repeating steps, making observations, asking questions, sharing data, reading about prior science discoveries. Um, so what HHMI did is tried to put together a framework um, that is easy for students to understand because of how complicated this process really is. Um, and it's hard for me to describe. So any science teachers that are interested in this, I encourage you to just go check it out for yourselves. The gist of it is there's an interactive simulation and there's two versions, a standard one and a simplified one. I think the simplified one looks like it might be more for like middle school level because um, it leaves out some of the finer details. And then the standard one, maybe your higher level or high school students, but it just ha it looks like a big giant infographic or flowchart. Um, but the cool thing about it is each one of the bubbles is a different component of the scientific process. So one of the bubbles, for example, says making observations. Another one says asking questions. And what it allows you to do is click on the bubble and the student can type into that bubble what they're doing to make observations. And then after that, what questions are they asking? And there's like 15 of these things. And my favorite part is that after they've typed in whatever they want into all these different fields, there's an export button and it automatically sends everything they've typed in and creates a Google Slides presentation from that. Uh, so it's an easy way to share with the teacher what they've put into the simulation, what they've added into it, or to share with each other or for class presentation. Somebody even had the idea of you could, you know, share like a like a scholarly research article with the students and have them read it and break it down using this map. And then that automatic generation of the Google slide would just be an easy way for them to share their ideas. So I know it's a little bit limited for who it applies to, but I think for the science teachers out there, how science works is going to be a good one. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool, but I think you're selling yourself short. I mean, just saying it's a science app, I think you can use that in a lot of different ways across the subjects. I, I do think it's relevant there. Totally. But anyway, I think mine's still better. Yeah. <laughs> All and right, let's, uh, let's I'm going to go right into it. And mine's Think of it as like a database for all things education. What I mean by that is it, it's a product index and it's called EdSurge. It comes off of the edsurge.com website. And if you go down to the very bottom and you go to product reviews, it's, it's pretty cool. It breaks things down into five different categories, curriculum products, teacher needs, educational operations, post-secondary, 
and everything else. So if you're an administrator, you're going to find this useful. If you're a teacher, you're going to find this useful. If you're in uh, post-secondary education, you're going to find this useful. Uh, I find it very useful. And let me tell you why. So you have all these products under these categories. So for example, curriculum products, some of the products that are listed underneath there, they're breaking, they're broken down into um, kind of like topics, 21st century skills, the arts, engineering, language arts, language learning, math, science, social studies. And then you see these uh, these topics, and to the left of it, you can see how many products fit underneath that category. So for 21st century skills, there are 63 products that they have reviewed. And you could go in there and, and look at the reviews for each one of these products. So if I clicked on 21st century skills and I could see all these products that have been used that help you with the four C's of the 21st century. Now within this search uh, window, you can um, provide filters. For example, if you're a high school teacher and you want to just look at the products for high school teachers, you can do that. You can look at the curriculum type and do you want this to be part of the core curriculum? If so, you could search by that. If it's just something supplemental, you could do that. You could search by costs or usage or tech requirements, all that stuff. Now, um, if we go back, some of the categories that I think are pretty awesome, I do like the 21st century skills, but you have uh, collaboration tools, you have assessment tools, you have lesson planning tools, professional learning tools, video tools, presentation tools, you have uh, networks and hardware. Is this all tech or is this like physical products as well? Uh, it's all tech stuff, but okay. it's also anything that you might use within the school. Okay. So for example, there's Let's go to the ePortfolio tab and we click on it and we, um, it's going to give you all these different products that allow you to make ePortfolios. So a credible, circled in, credential me, credly. I mean, there's so many of these and you can look at the ones that are the best reviews and maybe that's something that you want to bring into your classroom or your administrator wants to bring into your school. So it's, it's pretty simple to use. It's pretty uh, informative. It at least gives you an idea of what's out there and maybe something that you can use in the future. That does sound pretty extensive. I don't know. How do you expect me to argue that? Yeah, I, I don't know either. I told you I was going to bring the heat today. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess I guess I could throw you this one just because, I mean, that that's almost like an all-encompassing find out about the best of whatever you want within any category, super easy and searchable, just, uh, you know, all in one place. Yeah, I mean, the thing I like it for is the fact that I spend a lot of time searching for a a fit for a teacher. They'll come up and, do you have anything for this? You know, like cartoons. I want the kids to draw cartoons or comics. And I'll be like, uh, let me get back to you. And then I go and I research, 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 and I stumbled upon Ed Surge. And now I can just go there and be like, oh, here's like 16. Let's take a look. Wow, this has 25 ratings of five stars, where everything else has three stars. All right, well, that's pretty cool. I don't think... How science works can stack up to the extensive use of EdSurge, but definitely science teachers or any related STEM field out there, check this thing out because it's a pretty cool resource for students to get acquainted with the scientific process. And for everybody else, for anything else, definitely check out EdSurge and check out Geis's upcoming victory speech. That's right. Just slay the giant with Ed Surge. Go over to Ed Surge. Look at different tech apps, different tech tools that have been reviewed by teachers like you. This week, I just want to talk a little bit about being thankful since 
Thanksgiving is right around the corner. The holidays are a great time to reflect on relationships that you've developed over the years, current relationships that you have with your colleagues and with your students, both present and former, and think about those little victories that make our job worth it. And there are a lot of them but sometimes they come in very uh, small form. So as things become stressful with the end of the quarter grades or we're approaching midterms or quarterlies, uh, make sure that you take some time and you figure out what in your job makes you happy. Take a look at those little victories and you'll be amazed about how much of an impact that they have on your everyday teaching career. So until next time, you can visit us on gottech.com or our Twitter handle, We Got Teched. Till next time, be thankful.